Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Oh, I've got a funny little story for you, Trish, about mm. breaking points, partners <laughs> breaking points that are unexpected. It's a Christmas story, given we've just back from the Christmas time. So pigs in blanket, little sausages wrapped in their little bacony coats. <laughs> Before Christmas, uh, as I told everybody, we were going away on Christmas Day for the first time ever. So we couldn't have a traditional Christmas. We would have a little Christmas on Christmas Eve. Now, my husband, who would put the Christmas tree up in September, that's how much he likes Christmas. Yes, very keen, James. Took a while to get his head round not having a traditional Christmas and us, all six of us, going away. I said, no Christmas dinner, so just get your head round that soon. He went out and bought all the ingredients for Christmas dinner, despite these instructions. Not the turkey, but everything else. Everything else. Did a ham, and I said, on Christmas Eve, we'll have a little dinner this evening, go to our little service that we go to once a year in the church, and uh, all that. I opened the fridge, and I said, what's all this Christmas food doing in here? (laughs) And he's very attached to his pigs in blanket. I said, well, we can't have those. We haven't got time. We're packing. We're doing blah, blah, blah. Happily accepts all that. We come back from our Christmas trip. Obviously, the teens are still around and they will eat anything if it's not nailed down. One of them with her boyfriend says to me, can I eat these pigs in blanket? And I said, well, yeah, I mean, it's not Christmas anymore. I don't know. Just just eat them. Eats them. Two hours later, huge furore in the kitchen. And I wonder what the hell is going on? Because Mr. Candy is a very mild mannered man. Very rare for him to raise his voice or lose his temper over anything domestic. Going absolutely bonkers that they've eaten his pigs in blanket. (laughs) I mean, properly furious, World comes up, three. says to me, did you say that they could eat these pigs in blankets? All of this just goes on for ages and then storms off, slams door, storms off outside. Big old hissy fit. And I was said to the eldest one who had sort of witnessed it but wasn't involved in it, what the hell has happened there then? And she said, Mum, everyone has a breaking <laughs> point. <laughs> I'm with Mr Candy because I rarely do this, but the last time I did it, gone down in family folklore last year, my special smoked hummus that I had bought for myself, gone, (laughs) disappeared from the fridge. I just kicked off. A lot of slamming doors. My breaking point. Bit of Marion. Yeah. Bit of Marion. It's a breaking point, isn't it? Maybe we should ask the listeners on our private Facebook group to leave. They're odd, unusual, small detail breaking point stories for us because it's not about the pigs in blanket or the hummus, is it? It's always about something underneath it, really. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. 
If you're living in a hormonal hot house, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Well, hello everyone. It's so good to be back in our podcasting hot seats after our little break over the Quimbo period. We're feeling relaxed, we're refreshed and we're ready to get stuck into 2024 with lots more fabulous guests, expert advice, postcards, community news and of course some uh, wiffly, waffly, nitwishery chat. Too. Indeed. Well, they do seem to like our drivel, Trish, even when we're talking about taking the bins out all that time you found your um, missing sock in your swimming cosy gusset. <laughs> <laughs> it's the glue of our show, isn't it? It joins all the different sections together with a bit of flim flam between us. Um, we always have a fabulous guest interview on the show who we invite to share their knowledge or remarkable life experience. And after the interview, we have How to Win at Midlife, where we get our journalist hats on and investigate something interesting or practical and report back to you. And that's if we're not doing one of our once a season regulars. We've got lots of regulars, haven't we? Culture Club, Book Club, Agony Aunts. And if you have never listened all the way through, I mean, there's hardly any of you that won't have done that, I'm sure. (laughs) But you are missing a treat because our sign-off is Nostalgia Noodle, Gen X Nostalgia Noodle, we take a funny little jaunt down memory lane. So stay for that today. Well, thank you for that roundup, Lorena. You were like a talking contents page, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> and while you were droning on, uh, a little bin thought popped into my head because we do like our bin stories. And this, this is a sort of friendship we have. You've mentioned your lovely snowy holiday over Christmas to Norway. You actually sent me a WhatsApp. The only one I got from you, the first one I got from you, about the bins at the lovely lodge. <laughs> He was staying at it, you? Well, I think listeners will appreciate this. All men seem to be obsessed by bins. All men over 40 obsessed by bins. And pigs in blankets. Pigs in blankets and bins. We get to this little cabin that we've rented. It is quite small because we're saving the pennies. <laughs> um, but there's no instructions, which is a bit of a problem for Mr Candy, obviously. He likes some instructions. But the thing he worried about, not how to light the fire, keep the heating on, turn on the cook or any of the things that would have kept us alive the main problem he was worried about was the bins he spent on the day before we left a good two hours sorting out the bins because he had to put it all in a place then he had to take it down to another snowy place behind a snowy place to drop it in a snowy skip basically and then as he came back I saw him talking to a lady walking with a bin bag and He stopped her to give her all the details of the bins and I could see that woman thinking, Oh no. I'm just going to chuck it over there where it says bins. (laughs) That's what he's going to remember most about that holiday. In years to come, he'll remember the bins and where they were, won't he? He will. He will. He was very excited about it. Well, you did WhatsApp me once because you said that you'd put more than 70 place settings in your dishwasher over three days at Christmas, didn't you? Sort of classic midlife women's Christmas, skivvying around and looking after everyone else. Did it wear my little Trish out? Were you knackered? Well, it was a bit knackering, but it was a lot of cooking, entertaining, socialising. We had a full-on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day. Really good, a bit exhausting. Uh, But you know me, I don't like to complain, Lorraine, do I? 
Well, you do, Trish. You, you do like to complain, <laughs> but you don't complain as Trish. You've developed an alter ego called Marion, who does lots of passive-aggressive complaining, which I'm sure the listeners will come across as we get further into the season. It's the joy of this podcast, isn't it? It's just we can just do all our complaining about yeah. everything on here. But actually, I had a lot of fun as well. And one of my most fun things, I went to a New Year's Eve party, which I haven't done for a while, didn't drink a drop. I was the designated driver. It was also someone's uh, significant birthday. And everyone was so drunk. <laughs> everyone was so drunk. There was a big shouty quiz. There was lots of dancing. And do you know what? I loved it. Got into all of it. Really enjoyed it. Couldn't get me off the dance floor. But the people didn't like it. There were people. Some people were really nervous about that. Or it made them uncomfortable that having a sober person in the room. It's funny, isn't it? You know, I had somebody saying, oh, why don't you just, like, drink and leave the car here and you can stay overnight or get a cab home? And I was just like, no, I'm, I'm kind of perfectly happy as yes. I am. And we've discussed this on the show before, haven't we? Because obviously midlife is that point where you're sort of having a little bit of a, hmm, about whether you should be drinking, <clears throat> certainly the, the wine, because it affects you so badly. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? People are suspicious. I think it's a British thing or a European thing. And I think it's also... Maybe that Gen X thing, it's so much part of our culture. If one person doesn't do it, then what's going on there then? We're just so suspicious, aren't we? Yeah. I follow Tamsin Althwaite on Instagram and she was one of our lovely guests last season. And she stopped for six months and talked about it on the show, didn't she? She's actually doing it again now. So if you want to follow her for a bit of inspiration, because she's really non-judgmental and she's not shouty about it, it's really interesting talking about how she feels as the only person in the room at quite big celebrations, just saying, no, I don't fancy it. I don't fancy a drink. It's really fascinating. But we do um, we like to talk about all these sorts of things, don't we? It's sort of smaller day-to-day -day stuff as we face all our bigger midlife challenges. Because it's the small stuff, as we've said about breaking points, that really tips you over the edge <laughs> or makes you feel alone, um, isn't it? But it is our mission to help midlife women of the world and I think it is working Trish because we do get some really gorgeous emails don't we yay Susie sent this one I know you've seen this one so you can just sit there and glow while I read it she says I'm not one to gush but I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the joy and self-improvement that your podcast has brought me in 2023 alone I've gone on HRT thanks a million Dr Newsom for saving my sanity and my family revamped my skincare, thank you to India Knight and Trini Woodhall, guests on our show, found the perfect jeans, thank you Donna Ida, another guest on our show, and really up my style game, thank you Melissa Murrell, that lovely YouTube stylist. She has started a small group strength training and strength classes at her local gym. I've talked to my husband about sex for the first time, thanks to Ruth Ramsey, and realised that my relationship with my daughter is normal. And I'm sure there's so much more. Many of my friends listen to you. And I've opened up to friends about things you've normalised in a way that I don't think I would have done without your podcast. Isn't that lovely? I'm glowing. I'm glowing. That is so lovely to hear. But um, spread the word. Share the love, midlife ladies. Um, and you can do that, obviously, by listening to this podcast and chatting to your friends, coming along to Substack, where we have our new mini magazine newsletter, and of course, joining our private Facebook group. I hope Susie sends us her 2024 postcards wrap at the end of this year too. I think some of the things we have lined up are going to be super helpful uh, for her as well. We've got Dr. Michael Mosley joining us in a couple of weeks to share his 
four-week plan for getting better sleep and losing weight at the same time. Double whammy, sounds very good. Uh, We have the fitness powerhouse, Adrian Herbert, coming on to talk motivation and strength training. And for anyone going through rocky times in their relationship, there's quite a lot of those, isn't there? Oh, it is. Yes, I do read it quite a lot on our private Facebook group. And thank you for sharing, because I do think it's really helpful for other women when women share their, don't you? Sharing their relationship predicaments. Well, today's guest, Anna Whitehouse, is going to be super helpful. She is also known as Mother Pucker. You may know her by that name. She's an author, radio presenter and parenting campaigner. And she's going to be telling us why and how she ended her 17-year marriage and how she's moved on with the next phase of her life. Yeah, I think that's going to be helpful. But before we meet Anna, we'll be sharing our arts and entertainment highlights for the coming months in our first Culture Club section of the year, which is coming up next. And we do have some nostalgia noodle news for you at the end of the show, so make sure you listen all the way through for that. Talking of news, did you hear this week, although I'm slightly nervous about this because I think it might prompt some of your legendary name dropping, <laughs> but did you see that Kate Moss has turned 50 well, this week? My God, we've got even more in common with her now. Can you guess who else is 50 this year or are you just going to do a quick name drop? No, I'm going to do a Kate Moss story. Good, go, go for it, go for it. <laughs> You know that famous picture of her in that silver see-through dress? Yes. It's the sort of famous one. When it crops out a bit, I'm actually in that picture behind you her. You are not, Because I was are at you? that party. Yeah. Were you? Were you wearing a see-through dress? No, I think. I can't quite work out the timing because she was terribly young, obviously a lot younger than me. I think I was probably on either on the sun or the mirror at the time. How exciting is that? Who else is turning 50? Tell me. You're going to like this. Victoria Beckham. (gasps) Save that name drop. Victoria Beckham. uh, We've got Olivia Coleman. Love her. And we've got Leonardo DiCaprio. And Joaquin, is that how you say her name? Joaquin Phoenix. They're all catchy as 50. It's 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 a very sexy decade, isn't it? Is it a sexy decade? Sexy times for you, Trish? (laughs) Sexy times. (laughs) Can we tell the readers about sexy times at some point? Would you like to? Shall we? It's on the sub-stack, sexy times, isn't it? Oh, let me tell them. Oh. (laughs) So lovely Trish and I have done a guide to gorgeous lingerie, as we call it, from Mrs Slocum. (laughs) Are you being served? Uh, We've done a lovely guide to that. And Trish wrote an intro, which I spat my coffee out as I was (laughs) reading it. She said, I would never wear fancy knickers, not even for sexy times. <laughs> I don't know what those are, sexy times. Oh, sexy times. I was talking more about uncomfortable, you know, those yeah. kind of pants. Still G-strings. Could be, could be pretty. Not go, ooh, hate the word, can't even do the word. Right, enough lingerie talk. It's culture club time. Right, Trish, I'm excited because I have lots of things to tell you about, lots of things to see, do and watch, but not read because I'm following the rules, Trish, the long rules of the podcast set by Trish Halpin. I have not put any books on my culture Good. Club list because I know I've got to save them, Miss, for my special book club episode, which is coming up in the next few weeks. And I don't want you to go all marrying on me if I break the rules. So there is nothing to read. Good, nothing to read. I'm glad uh, after... Four years, you're starting to get the hang of it. But you are very excited. Can I expect one of your long-winded yes. podcast yes. explanations, complicated stories? Good. Yes. Okay, go yes. for it. Go for it. Well, firstly, I've sent your application in for the next series of Traitors, <laughs> Trish. Because <laughs> you should go in Traitors as Marion, because she would win. 
Do you think she's devious? Devious, your alter ego. Anyway, so I am going to start with podcasts because that's the kind of generous spirit I am to recommend someone else's podcast on our podcast. I'm assuming everyone is listening to The Rest is Entertainment because it is so good with Richard Osman and Marina Hyde. Um, The joy of this one is you get all the behind the scenes stuff. So you know how a panel show is made, you you find out how they raise the money for it, you find out how they pick the people for it. So please do listen to that because it's a fascinating look at film and telly. Loads of stuff you don't know. But Trish, you know I am obsessed with ghost stories. Obsessed. Can't stop listening to them. And murders. Complicated murders and ghost stories, yes. So the two have come together in my perfect podcast. Okay, okay. I'm bracing myself. Long explanation. Tristan Redman, who is a really well-respected journalist, presents Ghost Story, which is on Wondery, but you can get it on all your other podcast providers. He's an Al Jazeera journalist, so he's really respected. He's really into the facts and he does not believe in ghosts. So he tells the story of growing up in a house, in the bedroom as a teenager, loads of stuff moving around in the night. It's the best story. This is it's a seven part series. He ends up marrying the woman who lived in the house next door, whose great great grandmother has been murdered by being shot in the eyes. Shot in the eyes? Yes. And this that's is true. Pivotal this is the, true. This is a true story. She was murdered in 1937. Is this the UK? Yes. It's in Richmond. In Richmond? Down the road from me? Yeah. It's so fascinating. It's such a set of coincidences you couldn't possibly imagine that he would meet the woman whose grandmother, great-great-grandmother, was murdered. And she was a brilliant doctor, one of the first ever doctors, female doctors, to get really, really high up in her profession in the 1930s. She was called Naomi Dancy. Good name. Hugh Dancy. No. Is a relative, the Hollywood actor. Yes. It goes on and on. She is allegedly murdered by her brother, who is suffering shell shock after coming back from the war. But she is married to a phenomenal man who was a philosopher. There was a BBC documentary made about him. He's quite an extraordinary man. All the way through their lives, they've assumed that the brother committed the murder because the brother uh, slit his throat after he allegedly murdered his sister. Right. It's such a set of bizarre coincidences and they discover a box full of letters which highlights a different thing that could have happened on the night and they interview, to help them solve the mystery... The woman who Jane Tennyson, prime suspect, was based on. Oh, yes. So they have that detective, Jackie, I can't remember her surname. It's just such a story, Trish. It's like Tales of the Unexpected, but on steroids. On a podcast. I love it. That is good. It's so good. I'm going to download that. What have you got for me then? Well, I've got a visual feast for your eyes, a fashion feast for your eyes, because on the 14th of February, on Apple TV, a series called The New Look starts. Now, you will know, yes. being a fashionista, what The New Look is. Is it Dior? It's Dior, yes. So it's basically, a, I think it's like a 10-part series, dramatisation of the life of Christian Dior, and particularly the war, in, you know, obviously in the devastation in Paris, and then how the fashion landscape was rebuilt by him and other sort of French designers after the war. So... It's got his rivalry with Coco Chanel. Brilliant bit of casting. Juliette Binoche, obviously, as Coco Chanel. Maisie Williams, Game of Thrones, playing his sister, Catherine Dior. And then they've got 
Balenciaga in there, Givenchy, the, all those designers are in there. So I think it's going to be really fascinating. The Australian actor Ben Mendelssohn, I don't know the name, but I don't really know him. I think he's in a lot of those Captain Marvel type things. He plays Dior, but then it's got a sort of contemporary soundtrack with like Nick Cave, uh, Florence Welsh and Lana Del Rey doing kind of mid-20th century songs. So I kind of High hopes for that. I think it's going to be really interesting. You've got all the way through that with no French accent, Trish. Oh. Given your French lessons, how are they progressing? Yes, that will be interesting. I just watched Napoleon and it was weird Napoleon having an American accent. I have to say, found that a bit strange. <laughs> but there we go. I'm just going to do one more TV because this one, I'd say it's for the boys, but it's for me too. Neil, going to be obsessed with this. Masters of the Air, also on Apple TV at the end of January. Have you seen you seen trailers for that? No, but I know that's a Neil kind of thing, isn't it? Yes. Basically, it's Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg. So it's Band of Brothers Mark II, but in the air. And I loved Band of Brothers. It was so good. Austin Butler, Elvis, Nkuti Gatwa, is that how I say his name? Doctor Who, Barry Keown, Saltburn Banshees of Sharon. Do you say Keown or Keoghan? Keegan, I would say. Okay. You've got the Irish ancestry. You can't do the Gaelic. Well, I thought it was Keown, but then Zoe Ball said Keoghan the other day. Confused well, she would Anyway, know. Masters of the Air. Right, next. From you, young lady. Some singing required here? Do you want to do Sit Down by James for me? Oh, sit down. Oh, sit down. <laughs> anyway, James, big fans, Gen X. Um, last year, they were. it was their 40th anniversary. I know, I went to see them at the Albert Hall. It was fabulous. I know. They are doing a stadium tour with Razorlight this year. So that will be great, I think. But also they are doing uh, something called an orchestral tour with a choir, which I think will be absolutely lovely. So I'm going to go and see that. I mean, I will go and see the stadium tour, but I really think something like that might make me think slightly differently about music. They've got two dates in the summer, the Bedford Summer Sessions and the Lytham Festival. Johnny Marr will be supporting them. Where's Lytham? It's up in Scotland. It's where the... Oh, OK. Golf... So you'll be going to Bedford. I might go up to Scotland, Trish. I, t- oh, I do okay. travel. Yeah. You do travel. Yes, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. My favourite, Getting Away With It. That's my favourite James song. But anyway, I just thought the Gen X team listening would like to know about that oh yes and if it was anything like the albert hall last year that was amazing so do go for it i'm sort of sticking with film now i've got a a gig thing coming up but i've got film now and that's all of us strangers with paul mescal and andrew scott jamie bell and claire foy have you heard about that no it's a british sort of indie film by this director called andrew haig and what i find quite interesting about this so masters of the air £250 million budget. Yeah. All of Us Strangers, £1.6 million. And if you think they've got Paul Mascal, Andrew Scott, Jim Bell, Claire Foy, all for £1.6 million, that's... <laughs> the point I'm trying to make, really, I suppose, is when you've got a low-budget film like that and it tracks those kind of calibre of actors, you just think, wow, it must be really, really good. The script must be amazing. Everything about it must be amazing. And it's basically Andrew Scott plays this gay screenwriter and he's having this sort of basically a bit of a sort of writer's block situation and he basically goes back to his years in the 1980s he's sort of sent back by playing Frankie Goes to Hollywood and he goes back to hit the street where his house is and then all this sort of weird stuff happens and it's all to do with his family it just looks 
amazing. It looks right up my street. Really, it's had an amazing reviews so far. So it's a bit nostalgia noodle with the 80s. But Andrew Scott, really like him. Hot priest. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Moriarty. And I was listening to him actually the other day on This Cultural Life. Do you ever listen to that on Radio 4? No. With John Wilson. It's really good. Is this during the day when you're supposed to be working, Trish? Well, I listened in, yes. But I've got it on the old, you know, the the old sounds. Before Escape to the Country. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Never listened to that when I'm stacking the dishwasher again and again. But no, it's really good. It's sort of like a better version of Desert Island Discs, there I say it, where amazing sort of people, actors, actresses, writers, talk about their sort of creative process through the kind of key cultural moments in their life. And it's just really interesting. He's he's had people like Patricia Cornwall on, Bernie Taupin, Matthew Bourne. I'm going to sort of do a double whammy there, all of us strangers, as well as uh, this cultural life on Radio 4. Well done. Now, Ben, our producer, tells me Lytham's not in Scotland. (laughs) I've already hit the ground running on my geography rubbishness haven't i where is it then blackpool apparently blackpool okay blackpool which is practically scotland if you're like me from cornwall that's i mean it's practically iceland for god's sake it's a long way north a long way north anyway you can all google it can i mention my next one now go for it so uh, i am going to see this i haven't seen it i have seen the trailer i'm very excited about it my alter ego milia von tant is obviously very excited about it yes the disappearance of sheer height the documentary that is in the cinema now, um, which is narrated by Dakota Johnson. I think it was partly um, made by her. She was a producer as well. So this is, I mean, what happened to Sheer Height? Do you remember the Height Report? Yes, of course. I wrote so many stories on that, even though it was out in the 70s. (laughs) We were always referring to it when I was on uh, newspapers about it. It's got four stars, this documentary in The Observer. Everyone says it's absolutely excellent. So the Height Report in 1976, looked at how women orgasmed and what they thought about it. So it was a it really sort of proved that they didn't always orgasm through intercourse with men. Oh, funny that, yes. Which in the 70s was a shocking thing to say out loud. Yes. Um, it was a best-selling book. I think it was something like the biggest selling book that year across the whole of the world. And it was based on interviews with thousands of women. And she did, that was her research, which was slightly debunked as, as time went on because it was kind of self-reported and it wasn't seen as, scientific but it was a huge huge best-selling book but I looked at some of the tv clips and I'm sure they are in the film you couldn't be trolled then on social media but you could be trolled by the newsmen interviewing you live on telly oh gosh right accusing you one accused her of being a man basher I mean honestly so and actually she was sort of stalked and terrible things happened to her when she was out and about so she sort of disappeared and she's um dead now But I'm really looking forward to this and I'm actually going to make my daughters because these women were really brave. Yes. We kind of look back on it and think there was this chunk of research done that made loads of headlines because it was about sex. But also they were really brave to put themselves out there and do that kind of research. And do you remember Sheer Height? She was incredibly beautiful. She'd been a model um, in her teens. She had that very white skin. So she was incredibly photogenic. Yes, so I'm going to go and see that and I'm hopefully going to take one or all three of my daughters. Good. I like the sound of that. I, I feel a bit ridiculous now doing my final one. <laughs> what is it? It's, it's so silly and so the opposite of your clever sort of brain food. This is just absolute nonsense. Um, this is Jonathan Pye. Do you know Jonathan Pye? Yes, he's the news newsman, isn't he? He's yes. quite funny though, Jonathan Pye. I find him entertaining. He's very funny. He's basically this sort of 
fictional character that this British comedian Tom Walker does. And he he's very silly. So he's a political correspondent and you hear him on air and he's very smooth talking blah, 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 when he's on air. And then as soon as he comes off, he just rants really angrily about British American international politics, giving his real opinions. Bit sort of Marion and Millie, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's Marion and Millie. So yes, he's this he's kind of um, got this obviously this slightly tragic home life. But he's really well informed politically. So it's quite interesting because, you know, you're laughing at it, but you're also going, Yes, actually I do agree with that. That is ridiculous, whatever. He's got a tour. He's going all over the country. Work outing. Yes. We might have to go to Guildford though. Could you cope with that? Or we could we could do the tour of the country. We could do it while we've got while we're up in Lytham near Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> we might be able to go and see Jonathan Pye as well as Jason. No, well, this is on from end of Jan right through to the end of March. So, and obviously, it's going to have to kind of change as he goes because obviously, as the politics of the day changes, we might all be at war by then. Anyway, who who can say? Don't say that. Let's finish on a light note, shall we? Finish on a light note. What light note have you got? Quick one. Sally Wayne Wright, Happy Valley, fabulous um, new TV series called Renegade Nell on Disney Plus about a highway robbery woman played by Louisa Harland, who's Orla in Dairy Girls. What a combo. Yeah. What a combo. That's ending <laughs> on a high note. That's a high note. Well. Apart from the recommendations we give you here, I would just like to point listeners in the direction of our fortnightly mini-magazine, Postcards from Lorraine and Trish, on Substack. Thank you, everyone who has subscribed. You loved Trish's piece on the F word, fat, the readers did, um, and how it affected your life and her life. Thanks for telling us all your stories. That was really fascinating, actually. You were really moved by our interview about mothering while recovering from cancer. Thank you for commenting on that. And there was much love for our tip. So I've got a booking. I've got a booking here for you, Trish. Look. Good. Oh, okay. Uh, we tipped Claire Keegan's small things like these on our Substack, which I adored and read again and again. I think I recommended it. You did. <laughs> One of our readers <laughs> pointed out that this is going to be a film. Yes. With Killian. Do you say it like that? Killian. Killian. Killian Murphy. So I did yes. learn something from one of our subscribers on Substack. Fabulous. Well, now it's time to meet Anna. And after that, we've got a little surprise for you. Some nostalgia noodling with a little new edition where we're finding out something we never knew before. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
our first guest of the new season and we've got a high achieving powerhouse in the hot seat today. Anna Whitehouse 42 is an editor, author, radio presenter, podcaster, columnist who became a campaigning parenting influencer when she took the government to task for its lack of policy around flexible working for families. Via her website Motherpucker, Anna launched the successful high profile Flex Appeal campaign with the Trades Union Congress. She is mum to Esme 10 and Eve 6 and wrote two non-fiction parenting books, Parenting the Shit Out of Life and Where's My Happy Ending, and also co-authored a novel, Underbelly, which is about to become a TV series. She also presents a weekly show on Heart Radio and has a column in The Telegraph. Today, we'll be chatting to Anna about her work life, but also her domestic life, which took an unexpected turn when her relationship of 17 years came to an end one Wednesday in April last year. Anna, who was named on the Independent Newspaper's Most Successful Women of 2023 list, says, I don't see my marriage as a failure. Rather, I celebrate my divorce as a success. She and her ex-husband, Matt Farkerson, established the Dutch habit of nesting when they split up, which is where the children remain in the family home and the parents take turns in living there with them. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Anna. Hello. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. So... I think we'll start, um, we should start by letting our listeners know who Mother Pucker is, um, because you've done quite a lot of work around maternal mental health and flexible working. If you could explain how Mother Pucker came to life and a little bit about you, because you're, you're Dutch and a lot of your ethos and thoughts and thinking is underpinned by being Dutch and, you know, a little bit about families and babies. And I think they do care for women a little bit better, especially at the beginning of uh, maternal life there. Do you want to just chat about that for us and let the listeners know? So Mother Pucker began in a much bluer place. You can imagine the words that came out of my mouth when I realised that the working world wasn't set up for women to essentially procreate. I am Dutch, so I had one baby in Holland and one baby in London. And I don't think if I hadn't had that experience in Holland that I would have launched uh, Flex Appeal or even Mother Pucker, because I think you just sit with the status quo. You just accept uh, when you see maybe women around you just keeping calm and carrying on. And uh, I landed in London and I was sort of looking around me going, how is family so far down the list in the UK uh, comparatively with Holland? So to give you some context, in Holland, when my firstborn landed, you get on the equivalent of the NHS, a maternity nurse who lives with you for 10 days. Uh, She's called a Kramzorg. And uh, it ranges from doing your washing, teaching you how to breastfeed, telling you you're not going mad for moments of sleep deprivation. Uh, There was even a point where she came over to me, she said, I've looked at your Instagram and I've seen that you like banana and strawberry smoothies. So I've made you one. Next level stuff. And why the Dutch do that is because if you protect a woman in that really vulnerable period, it reduces costs uh, later on in the equivalent of the NHS. So, you know, less anxiety meds, less depression. Uh, You really wrap your arms around a woman at that point. uh, And that's whether that's work or on a biological level, there's going to be less collateral damage later on. So if I hadn't, let's say, gone Dutch, I don't think I would have launched Flex Appeal. And, and primarily that was to help women at the to, to ask for flexibility 
in the way they were working when they first had children, isn't it? Yeah, so I essentially went into the working world here and uh, I was, I think, seven, eight minutes late for nursery pickup for my youngest and was charged one pound a minute after six. And you know where your little girl or boy is sat there with a Paw Patrol backpack on, sort of Bambi eyes, uh, not understanding why you're the last one there because of leaves on the line or a meeting that overran, you know, these very real reasons that make you late, that make you feel like you are failing. And I remember in that moment, I thought, do you know what? I'm not broken. The system is broken. And that was where FlexiPill launched. Uh, I put my flexible working request in to the L'Oreal group, who I still have a very good relationship with. I didn't leave because I wasn't I wasn't worth it. Um, and <laughs> like many companies at that time and still today, they said, we can't give you this flexibility. And I was asking for 15 minutes because it will open the floodgates to others seeking flexible working. And I just thought, well, can we not open the floodgates because people are drowning behind them? And that doesn't feel a legitimate business reason for saying no, because you're going to lose me. You're going to lose these swathes of incredible women. Look at us. The three of us are here. You know, look at all the podcasts popping up, the women driving businesses on their own because they've been pushed out for simply daring to procreate. So Mother Pucker and Flexible came from primal, visceral, maternal rage to change a system that was failing me but also I knew it was going to fail my daughters and there was no way I was going to raise them to work hard in their ABCs, their GCSEs, their A-levels maybe. They were lucky enough to get to university, to get that first job, to have somebody shut a big oak door in their face the minute, and sorry to be so crass, but sperm hits ovum. Uh, I was not having that. You've achieved a remarkable things with the campaign. Do you want to just maybe give us some of the highlights and what you're proudest of? I remember when I started out, the thought of the words flexible working and bill being put together was so foreign, felt so uh, impossible that when it did happen in 2023, uh, that the flexible working bill landed. And I'm going to be really honest, it's toothless. There's a hell of a lot more to do with it. But you ask the highlights, it would be seeing the words flexible working and bill legislation, these like breeze blocks that we're building around protecting women in the workforce, but not just protecting women, talent. How much talent have you seen or anyone listening seen dispersed from the workforce? Uh, it's a cost to businesses, really. And you work with the Trade Union Congress. You did a lot of research as well. You asked a lot of women, didn't you? And there, you have some schools are teaching uh, as part of their curriculum, aren't they? Flexible working and how you ask for it and around employment and things like that. So it's, it has had, you say toothless, but I think it has had some concrete effect, um, just getting the research out there as well. Yes. And I think it was the author, Douglas Copeland, who said, I truly believe we will look back on the nine to five like we do child slavery in the 18th century, that it is barbaric. You ask about uh, the success of this campaign. I think people are seeing that it's not a nice to have. It's not a little ping pong table in reception or craft beer on tap. No one wants those things. I want to see my people. And uh, that's not just as a mother. That's a boyfriend who wants to become uh, more engaged to his girlfriend. You know, it is uh, a guy who got in touch with me the other day who has a pet iguana called Dave. 
and he wants to see him on his lunch break. You know, <laughs> human reasons for being more productive and effective. On that note, often the successes are fleeting human moments. You know, yes, I can talk about the legislation. Yes, I can talk about the companies that have got on board and the way that the landscape is changing. But it was Coots Bank, James Clary, who I think has probably given the best case study of how things have shifted. He basically implemented flexible working in his 40-strong white-collar team. And he was described as going rogue within the bank, like, what have you done? And he, all he did was he sat his 40-strong team down and he said, right, you've got 10 minutes each. Tell me about the rub in your day. What stresses you out? And it ranged from, I don't see my girlfriend enough, to I want to do school drop-off on a Tuesday. All these human reasons. And he implemented it all. And within three months, productivity had gone up by 30%. And when the board of directors said, what on earth have you done? They couldn't argue with the cold, hard cash that was landing at Coos Bank. He said, well, do you know why I did it? Is not for any business reason, really. That's a, that's a byproduct of being human in business. I did it so that my secretary, who's becoming slightly disengaged with her boyfriend, has finally got engaged to him. It's a human reason. And you lead with the happiness and EQ along with IQ. And you've got something. Uh, so, yeah, the success is on a very human level, a uh, very emotional level, uh, not just a legislative one. And you say human reasons. When you have, you know, children, so many women and you yourself have talked about this suffer postnatal depression. And um, I think we're interested here. Lorraine and I, thankfully, didn't um, suffer from postnatal depression. Obviously, you have the most incredible hormonal upheavals and all sorts of things going on. But can you talk to us a bit about that and how you managed it, how it felt and when you came out of it? And is there anything lingering even today from it? Yeah, I think uh, I read an incredible piece the other day, a piece of research that said that it takes 10 years to recover from having a baby. That's minus postnatal depression, right? So our minds and our bodies, please, if you're listening to this, Give yourself kindness, understanding, a recognition that it's not just a maternity leave that fixes you. And I think the irony is in trying to fight for flexible working for my girls, I completely broke in the process. You know, I mean, I remember almost standing there one day looking at almost the broken pieces of my mind and body, like somebody had taken a sledgehammer to a glass pane. And I was trying to pick up the pieces, but they were sharp and I didn't go back together in a way that I recognized. So I would say that I don't think you recover fully from any kind of depression. I think you bear the scars of that, uh, however it manifests. But what I have done is picked up those pieces and they formed a very different image, but it's broken. It's probably more beautiful. It's more real uh the scars are there but i know what i've walked through to get to where i am now and i would say while i feel more exhausted weaker in many ways i'm also more robust um i did a post this morning about the parental paradox where yes you feel you've lost yourself but good god i found myself in there too yes i want my kids to go to sleep as soon as i get in but also i want to wake them up and smell their little heads and be there with them. Yes, I want them to grow up, but I also want them to stay small. And I think it's a slight madness, motherhood. Uh, within a five-minute period, these undulations, the ebbing and the flowing of 
emotion and frustration in the same second. There's no other experience that will leave you literally weeping in the Tin Goodsile Tesco and then exuberant and joyful when your child hugs your shin. It sort of peaks and troughs. And I think I've learned through postnatal depression and the pain of that to really applaud the beauty of it and to see it in other mothers. Like you've walked through fire and uh, be kind to yourself. Tell us a little bit about Matt and your life together. How did you meet? How did you start uh, your family life? I mean, you were very enmeshed because you've got over, I think, 400,000 followers on Instagram and a lot of it was chronicled there. So a lot of your community knew the two of you together and you wrote, actually wrote a novel together as well. How did you run your life as a couple and what kind of parents did you want to be? I think this is probably the biggest mistake we made. You know, just to preface this, we're obviously now divorced and we didn't create a blueprint. It was more of a suck it and see. My mum even said the other day, she goes, Anna, I know I shouldn't say this, seeing as you campaign for women's rights and flexible working and uh, an equilibrium and equality within the household. But I truly believe your father and I had an easier time of it because our roles were defined. He went and earned the bacon, she cooked it. That's a very base way of saying it, but the roles were defined. There was no grayness, there was no confusion over who did what. Uh, it was very defined. And I think, uh, ironically, I went into campaigning and writing about uh, the beauty and the pain of motherhood. And in that, I completely got consumed by it and ended up spending less time with my children. He had to pick up the childcare slack, uh, which either neither of us were doing what we wanted. I wanted to be with my children. He probably wanted to be not less with the children, but he wanted to be out there working. But uh, we had such a distorted reality and then you know we ended up writing about it a book called where's my happy ending and you know uh, ominously the last chapter was called stick or twist and sadly we twisted I'm not looking back on it as that was a failure I've said this before you know it was it was a successful marriage we had a wonderful time uh, we respect each other deeply and it was equally a successful divorce but good God, is this hinterland that we're in at the moment, this almost purgatory of women trying to do it all and trying to, and I absolutely don't want to do it all, um, and nobody should be seeking to do it all. But I think there's been this pressure of, right, who am I in the work world and who am I at home? And I think we are perhaps collateral damage of a world that's pressured to an extent uh, women to pick up that working world when the working world isn't set up for us to succeed that's the patriarchy yeah that would be that would be the patriarchy if the patriarchy could just listen a bit more to the matriarchy yeah. they made it they made a system we can't work in it's not built for them it's not built for us it's not would you advise people perhaps at the beginning of their family life now to really sit down and thrash it out almost in a business way so you're you're responsible for dentists you're responsible for doctors I'll do meals Monday to Thursday. Do you think that is the kind of thing that would work for couples coming into it now? Because a lot of women also are having babies a bit later, so they're a bit further on in their career, so they're a, they're a bit more busy. A hundred percent. I wish we'd roadmapped it more. You know, it's the biggest project you are ever going to take on. Project procreation, right? It's it's Mother Nature's biggest task. And I think before you get married, in some churches, they make couples sit down and talk through what they think their lives are going to look like. You know, when you don't go onto the road without knowing where you're going to go, you've got your sat-nav, you've got the route laid out. 
So why on earth do you exit that hospital, perhaps, with a baby in a carrier with no idea how you're going to navigate that? Like I said, in Holland, you get a Kramzorg who wraps their arms around you for 10 days. Here, you do not have that. Uh, you need to have, I think, to protect yourself. And I say this hand in the air as somebody who didn't. You need to have a roadmap before you hit, you know, the M25 with massive traffic and um, children screaming. And you wander somewhere in the middle of it, like, who are you? Where are we? Don't wait to get to that place. Have the boring, banal, domestic chats. Because if you're not having these conversations in your four walls, the resentment, and then I think where it went to and will go to if you do divorce, uh, contempt is so brutal and so damaging and so devastating that, yes, I wish we dotted I's, crossed T's on who did what, but not just who did what and who's responsible for what, but what do you want? And actually, when we looked at it, I didn't want to be out, you know, in the coalface, the Instagram coalface, selling things, writing things, producing things, broadcasting. I wanted to be home with my babies. And my husband, yes, he wanted that, but he also wanted to retain his career, which, you know, took a hit when mine took off. So those conversations are essential. Can we ask you a little bit about the the practical experience of divorce? Because I think the fear of it is what puts um, many women, you know, they're not happy in relationships, but the idea of navigating a divorce separation with all your life is joined together is very difficult. How did you go about that? Because you did have marriage counselling, didn't you, I believe, when you decided to twist and then that followed um, with a divorce well, I think it's incredibly important to say that uh, it's a huge privilege to get divorced. So, so few people can. You know, financially, you become enmeshed with your partner. If you look at the gender pay gap, equal pay, generally men are earning more. Uh, men take the bigger jobs. Women tend to step back still or get pushed out of the workforce. That's the 54,000 women every year who lose their jobs for daring to have a baby. Um, we're on the back foot. So the sheer privilege of being able to, let's say, get a marriage counsellor, you know, to help you untangle the knots, as we would describe it, to recognise that uh, after two years, you know, maybe you have hit the end of the road, you know, a road, like I said, that we just did not even have a roadmap for. Yes, I, I look back and I feel quite sad about that, to be absolutely honest. With um, untangling your finances and untangling the kind of general admin of life did you is there anything you can advise our listeners because the peak age for women to get divorced is over 45 45 to 50 so that is our community is anything you can advise them to do before they begin the process the big thing I try to say is language matters I you know I had a lot of shame in my mind around divorce I never was thinking about myself. I was thinking, A, how will this affect the children? It's very important. B, how will it affect our friendship group? C, what will my parents think? What will the world think of me? Not what is right for me. And there's such a warped narrative around uh, midlife crises, right? Uh, actually, it's a midlife opportunity. Uh, I'm certainly sitting at my, in my shoes at 42, the inversion of that 24-year-old who went out on this road with no idea who she was. I am a battered, bruised version of myself, but good God, do I know who I am and where my happiness sits. 
look, I can't speak from, you know, a partnership where there's been an affair or there has been any abuse. I can't speak on that and I won't. But if you can take a deep, deep breath and look at your children and go, right, I need out of this. And you know resolutely you need out of it. And for me, it was two years of relationship counselling. We were not getting on. There was a greyness around our house. There was an anxiety every time I walked in. He wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. You've made your decision. Sit with that and make sure that you look at your children and go, whatever is going on around uh, them is going to affect them. So either there's two choices here. We can be acrimonious. We can be chucking stuff at each other. We can be racking up huge legal fees here, or we can keep centering them. So the hardest time for me was telling the children we were divorcing. And I was teary. Matt was teary. It's that moment you're told is the most shame-drenched moment of your divorce life. Your children's lives are going to be shattered as they know it. They're going to suddenly, you know, go down a different path. And what we did is it was an insight from a primary school teacher friend of mine who had seen a lot of this was we anchored ourselves. We brought good energy to that room. We lay them down on our spare bedroom in a neutral space. So the four of us were on equal footing. It wasn't us telling them. It was a conversation with them. And actually, from that moment onwards, it really determined our exit of kindly untangling. And that has meant reduced legal fees. That has meant reduced stress. It's meant just neutral exchanges on WhatsApp as opposed to slinging, let's say, your kids from pillar to post, from using them as pawns in a game of irretrievable breakdown. We were not going to do that however much we were hurting. And that has changed everything for us. And I'm not saying it's easy. Good God, it's not been easy. I have cried more in the last six months. I think I've cried in the last six years. But we did it because after about half an hour of chatting, my youngest looked at us. She goes, oh, so you're not going to be fighting as much anymore? No, no, we're not. Okay, can I watch uh, Mamma Mia 2 now? We were like, yeah, sure. And we kept that energy. And I think if we'd have gone in doomsday, oh, God, this huge thing has happened, crying and bringing our pain to the table, perhaps it would have gone differently. So I think my only advice is, aside from affairs and abuse is to really sit with your partner however hard it is and go look this is at the end of the road but uh, the children are still on our pathway uh, and they need to be prioritized in this and that is that's led every decision to date and it's why I've just messaged my ex this morning saying oh can you send me a photo of them having breakfast and he did and we have access points uh, to each other through that. You're nesting Do you want to tell us about that? That's very interesting. This is such a brave new world of irretrievable breakdown. Uh, There's new ways to do it. And it's not, again, for everyone. Uh, It comes with privilege. You need to have an extra space to exist in. But in a nutshell, bird's nesting or magpie parenting, as it's called in the States, is essentially the parents fly around the nest. We decided, again, prioritising what we felt was right for the children was that they kept the family home that their bedrooms remain the same, that the smells around them were the same, that their commute to school was the same, that the only thing changing was one week on, one week off with Matt and I. And that has anchored them. I don't know how, you know, long term, how long we can sustain that. But for that first two years, we made a pact that we would anchor them while they got used to this new situation. And Uh, It is stressful. I mean, I've just unpacked my bag in my flat this week. 
and you know you forget the things you need I forgot my laptop charger you know like just when you don't need any more admin amongst all of this it's another way of admin but it's stuff I'm happy to take on because my children our children didn't make this decision it's not on them so uh you know I and Matt decided that we'd remove any stress we could from them again privilege you need to be able to have an extra flat but you could stay with your folks or you could stay with a friend in that week. You know, there are ways of doing it. But somebody said the other day, it's far better to be uh, a product of a broken marriage than living in a broken home. And the energy within our home has shifted hugely. The children are happier because they're like, mummy's here this week. She's going to pick me up every day from school. Next week, it's Papa. Whereas before it was all over the place. So it's given them consistency. Um, if it's going to work long term, good God, check in with me in a year's time and I'll probably uh, have pivoted once more. What have you learned about yourself? Is there anything you look back and think, ah, oh, maybe we should have done that differently that our listeners can learn from? We are currently navigating the new partner discussion. That is not easy. Yeah, that's very hard. And uh, I think the thing that uh, I wish we'd maybe done differently was anchoring our friends and family, recognizing that they didn't choose this either. And we've started to actually have little dinners with friends, with the two of us, just to show that we can be in each other's company and it's not, it's not the end. It's not till death do us part, for sure, but it's not the end. And I think we're going into probably the toughest juncture, which is uh, moving on. And I think uh, there's relief in moving on for both of us, but there's grief in the 17 years that we spent together. The photos, to be honest, that pop up on my phone of birthdays gone by where we were arm in arm at the kids' birthdays, where this year the kids' birthdays and my birthday are on weeks that the children aren't with me. So I'm going to wake up, get get teary about it. I'm going to wake up and... I'm not going to be able to put my arms around them. I'm not going to be able to have Cheerios in bed with them. I'm not going to see them building Lego before their Weetabix. I'm not going to see them excitedly putting their happy birthday badge on their uniform. I'm not going to see them carrying in that massive multi-pack of Haribo to school. will make them feel godlike for the day because they're the purveyor of sweets. I will miss those moments. And so I think we are going into the toughest bit, which is how we navigate those moments of celebration uh, where one party is absent. And you're confident in all the planning because one of the things women take on is this just enormous amount of emotional labour. I, I interviewed a woman for my midlife book who had lived in the home, who had they had stayed together um, even though they were separate um, and they had a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, I think. And her big fear was that if she moved out, her husband was not capable of remembering the specific socks or the sports kit that was needed for that day. She was so terrified of that. She said she stayed for an extra five years. And when she did leave, she had this amazing liberation that actually some of that doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> do you? How do you feel about the specifics? Because the specifics are quite hard to navigate, aren't they? Um, I'm going to put my hand in the air and say that it's not really gendered in our household. Uh, I'm the one that doesn't put enough washes on. I'm the one that was forgetting to... God, what do you have to even do to the dishwasher to clean it? You know, like, you know, there's also <laughs> yeah. that little cupboard in the washing machine that has all the fluff in it that you need to change. I was, because I was burnt out and 
you know, in the embers of postnatal depression, I was not cognitively there for a lot of it. I was getting through the day and the balls that were being dropped were the domestic balls and they were the ones Matt was picking up. So I think we are in this world of shifting narratives. Uh, it's definitely not there yet, but the detail and the nitty gritty has become abjectly clearer post-divorce than it was when we were in the quagmire of our relationship. There was just huffiness and, you know, just when it gets to that, like I said, contempt, you really are in the darkest depths of the end of your relationship. And now everything's clear and without any animosity or any subtext of anger or rage or frustration, we can simply say, oh, by the way, uh, would you mind just stocking the fridge when I come in? Because there was nothing in when I came in. Yes, no problem. By the way, Stripey the goldfish hasn't been cleaned this week. Would you mind getting on that? Yeah. Ziggy the hamster needs a new salt lick. You know, like it's the banality of these things has got a neutrality to it. So it has become clearer. And I would advise anybody who is in that grayness of your relationship where actually you don't want out is to take these little banal punctuation points of domesticity very seriously to actually have active meetings, which I wish we'd done to sit down and go, right, Ziggy's on your watch, Stripey's on mine. Uh, these tiny little moments that create bigger eruptions when they mount up, it might feel like a little splinter at the time, but if you leave it, it'll get infected. That's how uh, I think I could describe the end of our marriage. Uh, so many splinters, and they were only small, but they built up into quite a lot of pain. And how do you look after yourself? We hope we really hope you look, you're looking after yourself and putting some of your <laughs> needs. I mean, you spoke so beautifully about your role as a mother and the priority of your children and getting them through this and all about getting you through this. Who has helped you or what has helped you outside of your family? Well, this is a point that I will bring up the platonic versus the romantic love. I have been held by uh, my girlfriends. And um, if you ask about looking after ourselves, it's probably going back to the 16th century women's healing circles that the Wiccans and the Celts brought up, which was really leaning in uh, in your deepest, darkest throes of P&D or whatever you're navigating to the women in your life. Don't underestimate that women's circle. And that has healed me, saved me, and uh, has made me realise that it would be lovely to meet a guy and get with somebody else. But really, the till death do us part is my female friends. So what is next for you? So you seem to be doing a lot of things. You've been on, I've seen you on breakfast telly quite a lot this week. You were on Lorraine this week, weren't you, I think? Yeah, yeah, talk, talking about divorce. <laughs> <laughs> you're doing presenting, you're all kind of, is there another book? Is there what's happening with Flex Appeal? What's your, what does 2024 hold because you're still in quite a vulnerable place it's still quite hard isn't it daily for you yeah I would say vulnerable is the right word and I think we should feel strong in saying the word vulnerable uh I'm not here to put masks on anymore uh I've done that for so long eyeliner flicks slick of red lipstick fanfare jazz hands I'm not doing that anymore I would say quite honestly I want to do less I want to focus on being the best possible mother I can be the biggest job I have had. I've not necessarily, it's wrong to say I've let my children down, but I have absolutely not been there in the way I've wanted to be. I've wanted to be more present. When my daughter said to me, I sometimes think you don't like me very much when you're on your phone. I don't want that narrative within our home. 
I have two books coming out. One is a follow-up to Underbelly, which is about the dark depths of the internet and what women supporting women really means, as opposed to the hashtag sisterhood t-shirts and tea towels and merchandise and writing a book on returning to work for mothers and what employers can do to facilitate that seamless return and retain female talent. So it's really the heartland of Flex Appeal. It's a guttural cry for the working world to wake up to the talent that they are chopping out of the workforce. Yeah, so I, I think it's probably being less chaotic, less manic, less desperate to be validated by a book, a podcast, a DJ set. Like I want to sit down and be on that sofa with my Cheerio encrusted children watching, you know, yesterday and saying, do you know what, tomorrow we can do that. As opposed to just a minute, darling, just a minute, just a second. I'll be with you in a minute. I want to ban that, uh, those words from my narrative because I want to be present uh, in 2024. And uh, that, I think, as any mother listening to this will know, is probably our biggest challenge. Well, it is that you are sort of in your early 40s and you're kind of entering the more of a don't give a shit era. (laughs) Hopefully that will be a a release, a liberation for you. I'm entering my fuck it era and uh, I'm delighted. (laughs) What a brilliant note to end on. (laughs) Thank you so much, um, Ella. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely to catch up with you and hear about everything. I think 2024 is going to be amazing for you. Thank you. It's a new jingle. Not sure how I feel about that, but yeah. Oh, Nostalgia Noodle, because um, Nostalgia Noodle is not, in fact, a Nostalgia Noodle at all this week, because um, as much as we love our steps back in time, we've done an awful lot of them, haven't we? I mean, we've virtually relived our childhoods, our teens and our 20s. So we're going to add in something new to the show. We're going to mix things up. Some weeks we might do a noodle, and other weeks we're going to do something called How on Earth Did I Never Know This? Well, I think there's been awful lot of how on earth did I never know this for you and me. Like where Lytham is. Probably do that forever and ever, quite frankly. (laughs) Uh, Yes, because just like Kate Moss, we have been on the planet for five decades, Trish. Can you remember that? Mm. And there are still some very simple things that we did not know. I'm not talking about rocket science or complicated maths equations, because surely we're never going to know that stuff. I don't know where Lytham is, obviously. I don't know any geography, Trish. (laughs) But you've got quite a good one to kick us off, haven't you, Trish? Tell me what you did not know until now. Well, I was having dinner the other night, have dinner every night, and uh, Neil asked me if I wanted a warm plate. Don't think he's ever asked me that in uh, nearly 30 years of marriage. Are you feeling guilty about something? (laughs) Probably because he ate my smoked hummus. But anyway, I said the sandwich toaster is in the warming drawer because that's where it lives because I haven't got any room. And you'd have to take it out. It's a plot. And he went, no, no, no. I'll just, um, I'll just pop the plates in the microwave and turn the microwave on. And I was like, what do you mean? How can you heat up plates in the microwave? And he just popped them in, put the thing on and heat them up. Now, I don't know why. When I think about it, it's a bit stupid. How did I not know that? And why did I only think that it heated up the ingredients on the plates and not the plate itself? Strange. Are you asking me a chemistry question? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I don't know what I'm asking you. I don't know. I'm going to throw in a nostalgia noodle for you here because when we got a microwave when I was little in Cornwall in the little bungalow. Back in the, what, probably early 80s, I'm thinking microwaves. Yeah, in the early 80s. 
Whenever my mum put anything in it, she would say, stand aside, stand against the wall. <laughs> she was really worried about the microwaves and our the wombs waves. for some reason. Oh, wombs, specifically wombs. Yeah, she said they might make you infertile. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, that clearly didn't happen because she had four children. You obviously no. either stood well back or it just wasn't, um, yes, well, there we are. <laughs> so that's kind of a nostalgia noodle and a howl. Didn't I know that mashup, which is very good. And of course, we'd love to hear some of you all. How didn't I know that? So that we can all feel a little bit silly together, really, can't we? That will open the floodgates, Trish, (laughs) of inane drivel, (laughs) which we are here to bring you. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, leave those on our private Facebook group of the same name, Postcards from Midlife. And we will see you next week for episode two. Get this, episode two of season 11. How have we made it this far? A postcard from midlife. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.